Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. And we begin the Sermon on the Mount today, and with the beginning of it being the Beatitudes, which make up the first, oh, 12 verses. Uh, this morning we'll spend some time considering what the Beatitudes are, uh, but also looking at the first one in verse 3. Uh, But before we go, a quick prayer. Lord, we give thanks today for the Word of God, for Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh, and for the promised Holy Spirit that reveals the truth of Your Word. Let us depend upon You, our triune God, and what we hear, what we see, what we know, and what we do. For the sake of Jesus, we pray all of these things. Amen. So, Jesus is starting His teaching at the end of verse 4, and we spoke about that last week, and then it rolls right into, in, ver- in chapter 5, uh, just take out the, the, ty- or the chapter number and the heading, and you see that the crowds had gathered, and seeing the crowds, in verse 1, He went up to the mountain, He sat down, His disciples came to Him, and He opened His mouth, and taught them. And now we get to, as we've been in Matthew for a few weeks now, the first recorded teaching of Jesus. We've heard him speak to John. We've heard him speak uh, to Satan in the wilderness. But not yet have we heard him. Oh, we heard him speak to the disciples as he called them. But not yet have we heard teaching from him. And we come to... Uh, the Beatitudes. And you got to remember his audience. It's not a bunch of Americans who, you know, have heard about the gospel, who have heard about Jesus. He's going to a Jewish audience who are waiting on a Messiah, and not just who are waiting on a Messiah, but who have had teachers in the past. They've had rabbis, leaders. They go to the synagogue on, uh, on, on Saturdays to hear of the teaching. But what they're about to hear is unlike anything they've heard before. And if you look, I believe we touched on at the end of um, Sunday night, when you look at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, it says that the people who were hearing were astonished. Because he was teaching with one who had authority. One who not just was repeating something, but it's as if this was, these were his own words and it was his own message. And his message began to press upon those who are already teaching, the leaders of the Jewish people. And these are the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes the lawyers, all who have been creating law and rule based on what had been passed down to them. Yeah, they had a little bit of Scripture in there, but they were also creating rules and regulations that no one could keep. And Jesus starts this Sermon on the Mount, and the whole sermon in itself is a big line in the sand. You're either on this side or you're on this side. You either understand 
God's Word this way or you understand it this way. The kingdom of heaven is for these on this side of the line. Jesus draws this big sand and it's in strict comparison to what they had probably been hearing. And he's setting up something that is unheard of. And his audience actually holds in esteem the rabbis and the teachers. And they look to them as if they're the way to follow. But Jesus bursts their bubble in the Sermon on the Mount when he says this, For I tell you, unless the righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, the ones that they were looking up to, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So imagine if you were looking up to a teacher and they were telling you how to live and then someone says, unless you live better than that teacher who is telling you how to live, you will not be rewarded. So that kind of puts them in a bind. This puts them in a position. Jesus has drawn a line. And the major line in the sand as we get to it is the Beatitudes. Now, what does it mean? What is Beatitudes? Like, I've, we don't, that's not a word we just use. It's actually just pulled from the Latin version of Scripture. That just, it's, though it sounds like beatitude something. It just means blessedness. You're in a state of blessedness, a state of happiness. That's all it is really meaning. And so Jesus is going and giving a pronouncement of blessing to the crowd. But it's not a general, you know, We bless people when they sneeze. God bless you. Well, that's not what he's doing. It's not the same sort of general, vague blessing going out to everyone for just to have happiness. Jesus gives these blessings to a specific group of people. To a specific group of people who have a specific characteristic. Multiple specific characteristics. And the blessing isn't just general, but the blessing is eternal. There's no commands in the Beatitudes. There's, the way it's written, it's not saying, you must do this. You have to understand that. Jesus doesn't say, you must be poor in spirit, and then the kingdom of heaven is yours. It's not what he's saying. Blessed are those, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Not go and mourn and you will inherit something. Or go and be poor in spirit and the kingdom is yours. No, Jesus isn't telling you what to do. People is, or Jesus is giving a blessing upon those who have these characteristics. And they're the characteristics of a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. These beatitudes represent the characteristics of a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Now, I came across a definition that I love that helps to explain the beatitudes. 
And it's from uh, this pastor named John Stott. And he says this. Listen to these words. Listen carefully. The Beatitudes set forth the blessing which God bestows not as a reward for merit, not as a reward for merit, but as a gift of grace. As Brother Dan mentioned this morning, the free gift of God is everlasting life in Christ Jesus, meaning it's not earned, it's not something you acquire from what you're doing and how good you are or how humble and meek you are. It is a gift of grace, not a reward of your merit. And it is upon those, get this, in whom he is working such characteristic. So take for example, the blessing in the first beatitude is, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You are given this blessing, but at the same time, by the Spirit of God, you are being created with the character of being poor in spirit. Now we'll, we'll parse that out a little bit more as we move on. But what you have to understand is you do not inherit the kingdom of God because you're trying to be poor in spirit. You do not enter the kingdom of God because you mourn. You enter the kingdom of God because you have been born again. Jesus told Nicodemus, unless you be born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. That's it. Through faith in Christ. Now, we'll come back to this. But notice, look at verse 3. Look at the first word of the beatitude. Blessed or blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, how many of you have heard someone say, Oh, I was blessed today. Or it was such a blessing to have this. We as a world have ran that word into the ground. We have removed God from the understanding of what it means to be blessed. Jesus' half-brother, James, tells us that every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights. Everything that we receive, every blessing that we say we have, comes from God and only God. But see, and blessed or blessed really just means happy. Happy. Now, what does that look like? Watch children at play. Watch children play and see happiness. Like Shepard, he's not, he's, he's being happy right now. He's being a bit of a distraction, but he's being happy right now. <laughs> Happiness. Also, blessed in this context means positive circumstances. Now, how easy is it to be happy when the circumstances are positive? Very simple, very easy. But the irony of the Beatitudes, listen to this. Tell me if this sounds like positive circumstances. Poor in spirit, mourn, meek, hunger and thirst. 
persecuted. Those don't sound like positive circumstances. Yet, Jesus says these people who are, not, who are in these not-so-positive circumstances are happy. And it's not because of the circumstance that they're in, but the blessing that they have received because they are citizens of the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ. We mentioned this morning, this world is not our home. We are travelers on our way home. We don't live, citizens of the kingdom of God don't find happiness, joy, based on their circumstances. Kingdoms of kingdom or citizens of the kingdom of heaven find happiness and joy because they belong to Jesus. Are you happy because of the way the day is going today? Tomorrow might not go so well. And are you going to respond to tomorrow's travesty and sorrow and bitterness and stress and anxiety, unfaithfulness and sin because the day has not gone so well? Are you not going to be happy and joyful because the day does not go well? For a Christian believer, you can. You can be happy and have joy in the midst of trial and suffering and pain. That's what Jesus is getting to. We have been made heirs, not just citizens, but heirs of the kingdom of God, which means you have an inheritance. There is something to be happy about. You know, and there's a saying that's been going around for a few years, for a long time probably. You only live once. So that's not our motto. We don't live because we will die someday. So we want to do what we can now. We live because we will die one day and then we will live after. So it's not you only live once, but you only live forever. So what are you living for? What are you seeking happiness? Are you bound up in the, the temporary blessings? Now, don't get me wrong. God blesses you in this world that seem to have no connection to eternity. Your children, number one. Your vehicle that you drove in today. The house that you live in. The money in the bank account. The food on the table. All of these things are blessings that you have received and you receive them apart from whether you are in Christ or not. God blesses all people. And as we spoke this morning, that is His patience and kindness. Now here's what I want to say. If you are outside of Christ and you are receiving blessing, and I would, I would promise you that you all are because you are alive today, don't play chicken with God. As you're driving down the road of life and you're receiving what you have 
Even if life does not seem great or grand, you have been blessed by the Lord in many ways. And He is giving you and allowing you to drive down that road and being patient and kind. And you don't play chicken and just say, I'm going to keep going and I'll swerve if He swerves. Because God's patience and kindness towards you in your unrepentant, unfaithful life, you are storing up the wrath of God. You are storing up the wrath of God if you continue to drive down the avenue of life, receiving His blessings and not exalting Him as King. Now, what does it mean to truly be blessed? Blessing in this life. Well, let's look. I want to, um, let's, take a, let's take a trip through Psalms real quick. And I'll just, just give you a heads up. Um, blessed are the poor in spirit. It's going to be a two-parter, one this morning and one this evening. Because we cannot move forward in understanding this beatitude or any beatitude if we are not sure of our understanding of what it means to be blessed We must understand of what it means to be blessed. So let's look at the Psalms. You know, and it's funny. um, I mean, I I hope I'm the only one, but I'm probably not the only one in our neglect of reading the Psalms. Um, A lot written by David, a lot written by others, and a lot written by some people we don't know. But just go ahead and turn to Psalm 1. We're going to do this quickly. And I want you to see that David, and I think most of these are Psalms of David that we're going to look at, understood this beatitude, understood what it meant to be blessed by God. What does it truly mean to be blessed? Now, if you have a Bible, I I just, I, I ask you to open it and look through these Psalms with us to help us to understand what it truly means to be blessed. Psalm 1, verse 1 through 2. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord. That's kind of, that might seem easy, but the next part is hard. And on his law he meditates day and night. So you could say, I'm blessed because, you know, I delight in the law of the Lord. Well, do you meditate on it day and night? Blessed is the man who meditates on the law of the Lord day and night. Now turn to chapter 2, verse 12. Or just look at chapter 2, verse 12. The very last sentence in verse 12. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. Now, that's just a way of saying who find safety in God. Which means you must trust. If you're going to get, if you know a storm's coming and they say, hey, come get in this shelter, you trust in that shelter, its stability, and what it can do to keep you from harm. So you find refuge in something that you find trustworthy and stable. That takes faith. Blessed is the man who finds refuge in God through faith. Now let's turn to 32. 
And we read this this morning as we began. Psalm 32, verse 1. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Now to stand up and tell us, to tell anyone, that you have no sin, no transgression, no deceit, a bold move. But for us who can say that we have no sin or transgression or deceit simply because of in whom we have found refuge and whom has covered it, not that we have not, but that it has been covered, that it has been forgiven by God alone through Jesus Christ alone. That is a blessed man. Chapter 40, verse 4. Chapter 40, verse 4. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust. 84, chapter 84. Verse 12. I'll give less commentary and just read more. We've got three more. 84, verse 12. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who... Trust in you. One twelve, verse Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord. We can all say that pretty simple. But look what it says next. Who greatly delights in his commandments. That man is blessed. Last one. 146. Verse 5. Blessed is the man, blessed is he whose help. Do you need help? Are you too arrogant to ask for help? Are you too proudful to say that you can't do it on your own? Blessed is he whose help 
is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. We have to understand that on this side of the cross, we can plainly see that all of this comes only through Jesus Christ. Only. Charles Spurgeon says this, You will never know the fullness of Christ until you know the emptiness of everything but Christ. You will never know the fullness of Christ until you know the emptiness of everything but Christ. If you are living today and tomorrow grateful for the blessings the Lord has given you that it's laid out before you, but you do not know the goodness and the riches of the eternal blessings that are in Christ, you are living today in vain. And you are wasting that which the Lord is blessing you with today. And this is what He is after. This is His purpose in these Beatitudes, is to show you, is to show the people that it's more about now. It's more, it's more than about now. It's more than about what's on the outside. It's more than about what you can get now or what is coming to you now or how you're acting now. It's about internal and eternal. Internal and eternal, which gets us to this first one. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, I want to break that word down, that phrase down. Poor and spirit. Now, our understanding of poor today might not go well with what this means. We, as society has grown and continued, we see a lot of people who are impoverished because of their decisions. But in this time, poor was viewed in a different way. Alright, I'm going to read a couple verses to help us to understand poor. Now just hang tight and listen to me so you understand what we, may, what we mean when we say poor. Uh, in the story of rich man and Lazarus, rich, the rich man, obviously rich man, Lazarus, a poor man. Listen to this. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted uh, sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's tables. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. Here's another parable to help us understand poor. He said also to the man who had invited him, Why have you given a dinner or a banquet, and you do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid? So he says you, 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 you make a banquet and you invite your friends because you know that they'll invite you in back to their party, to their banquet. He says, But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame and the blind, 
and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For they will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. So two words come to my mind when we think about poor in the Bible. Lacking and dependent. Lacking and dependent. The rich or Lazarus, he depended on the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. And if he wouldn't have eaten the crumbs from the rich man's table, what would have happened? He would die. He did not have what it takes to live. And he was dependent upon others for the needs, to meet the needs so that he could live. The poor could not eat. The poor could not work. So Lazarus had sores. He had a medical issue. So when we talk about poor in the Scriptures, we're talking about those who could not work. We're talking about the widows and the orphans. They were helpless. And they depended upon others just to actually live. This is the poor. The opposite of the rich who had this huge mountain standing in front of them who thought they had gotten where they had gotten because of what they had done. They were dependent upon no one. And for some reason, for some reason, those who had, who were rich, thought that they had done something right and got God's attention. And that's why with the rich young ruler, y'all remember that story? The, old, the, the, the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he says, hey, what must I do to go to heaven? What must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? Jesus says, sell all you have Give to the poor and follow me. And it says he walked away sad because he had had great things. And the disciples were like, hmm, this is weird. And Jesus said that it is harder for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to be saved. This is how they got rich and poor wrong. They said, okay, well, if the rich man can't go to heaven, then who can? They had it backwards. They had this idea that because someone had something, they had blessings, that they had done something right before the Lord. God said, no, that's not the way it is. You see, Jesus is saying it's not about what you see, what people have, what they've accomplished, but God sees internal. He sees the heart. Now, this is a point of potential problems for us if we take that saying that God sees the heart and pair it with bad theology, bad doctrine. If we think the heart is good, and then we say, well, God doesn't see what's on the outside, He sees what's on the inside, then we're like, oh, well, everybody's got good in them. That's not the case. When Scripture tells us that God sees the heart, you should tremble. You should be afraid. Now, thank the Lord for those whom trust in Christ, who have received a new heart, that when Christ, when God looks upon us and He sees the blood of Christ, He sees that which Christ has done within our heart. But we know, because Jeremiah says it, that your heart, apart from the Holy Spirit, is desperately sick. Deceitful above all things. 
Jesus did not entrust himself to man, it says in John 2, because he knew what was in their heart. And see, and this is what is different from Jesus' teaching and all of the others that had been taught up to this point in the context of Israel. His kingdom is about the inner man. His kingdom is about what is on the inside. So we consider this word spirit, the inner man. Spirit is actually in the Greek and in the Hebrew, breath. Wind blowing. But in the context of the person, what is our breath? When someone is not breathing, there is no life. What did God do to give Adam life? He breathed into his nostrils, his spirit. He gave him a spirit. You see that? He made him alive by breathing his breath. God breathed into Adam and turned what was made out of dirt into a person in the image of God. See, the image of God is not what you look like, but it's the inner man, the spirit. Now, if you want to understand more about what the Spirit is, and it's not a Spirit, Holy Spirit. We're talking about our Spirit that we all have. And I just, to, to save some time, here's what I want you to understand. Your Spirit is eternal. Your body will die, but your Spirit will live and stand in judgment before God. So let's combine these two words. Blessed are the poor, lacking in spirit and life. As Lazarus lacked the ability to work, to feed himself in order that he might live without Christ, we lack the ability to make ourselves right for eternal life. You are incapable. You are incapable of obtaining eternal life. This is what poor in spirit means. You are spiritually poor. How much is in your bank account? Not a dollar. Not zero dollars. You are in debt. You have to understand that. You are in debt. You are in the red when it comes to spiritual things. You are not just, I ain't got no money. I owe more than I could ever repay. This is spiritual poverty. Now, this is every person who has ever lived. So this, if you think about it, as he says in Matthew, blessed are those Blessed are the poor in spirit. Well, if that's all mankind, then what are we talking about here? Well, there's a difference. Remember we think about the word poor. And I said, the poor man is lacking the ability to live, to feed himself, to, to give him the necessities. But the poor man, knowing he is lacking, is dependent upon someone 
to live. That is poor in spirit who are blessed. Those who know their poverty before God, that they are a sinful being and that their acts in their life are that of rebellion against a good, holy God and that the only way to be blessed is to depend upon the Lord that they may live. None is righteous, no, not one. This isn't all that are poor. Everyone is poor in spirit. Everyone. But the blessed who are poor in spirit acknowledge their need before God. John Calvin wrote this. Pay attention. Only he who is reduced to nothing in himself and relies on God is blessed and poor in spirit. Only those reduced to nothing in himself and relies on God. Psalm 34, David cries out. David cried this out. This poor man, referring to himself, cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of his troubles. You see, and Jesus came on the scene and in Luke, we see chapter 4, I believe, he stands in the synagogue and he opens the book of Isaiah and he reads the book of Isaiah and he says, the spirit, as he's reading, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. Not the poor without money, but the poor in spirit. He says later that those who are well have no need. They have no need of a physician, but those who are sick need a doctor. And he says, I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners. So I could go on and on and on. And like seriously, I could continue going for another hour about what Scripture says about being poor in spirit. But I want you to consider this. Do you know your poverty? Do you know your inability? Do you know that you are spiritually in debt? And one day... The Lord will come calling and He will want His money. And you will have nothing. You must declare spiritual bankruptcy. Think about bankruptcy. What must you do in order to file bankruptcy? You must admit that you cannot pay your debt. And you cannot move forward until you admit that you are nothing and cannot pay the Lord what you owe Him. The Pharisee and the tax collector, as we read earlier, the Pharisee stood in the temple and said, I'm thankful I'm not like this guy and this guy and this guy. I'm thankful that I tithe and that I do this and I do that. Standing in the temple, 
He was rich. He was so rich before the Lord. In his own eyes, the Pharisee beat his breast, pounding his chest in an act of contrition and mourning. And he says, have mercy on me, O God, a poor sinner. He was poor before the Lord. And God finished that parable. Jesus finished that parable saying, and it was the tax collector who went home justified. He who exalts himself will be humbled. But he who humbles himself before the Lord, the Lord will exalt. How? Because 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul tells us that God sent Jesus who was rich beyond our wildest imaginations. Jesus took on poverty so that you may be rich. Jesus took on suffering, humiliation, so that you may be exalted. And that was on the cross of Calvary. And the only way to be blessed is to acknowledge, to admit your poverty, your debt. But I want you to understand, and we'll look at it this evening, and we'll spend some more time on this. Well, if we get it to this evening, that the second beatitude, blessed are those who mourn, this is the actions of those who are poor in spirit. You can't walk out these doors and declare, I'm poor in spirit, and not live a life mourning over your sin and the sins of others. So I call you today to repent of your sin, to see your need. I call you to remember the grace of Christ upon becoming poor so that you may be rich. And I ask you to leave today to consider why do you consider yourself blessed? Is it because of the things that you hold in your hand? Is it because the things that you, uh, the bed that you sleep in? Is it because in the car that you drive? Is it because of the, the, the bank account that you have? Or is it because you have Christ Jesus, forgiveness, redemption, and eternal life? Only through faith in Jesus. Let's pray.